Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 31. This evening we'll be reading from verses 43 through to 55. This is the reading of God's word. Then Laban replied to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, and the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But when, what can I do this day to these my daughters, or to their children whom they have borne? So now come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. Then Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. So they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Now Laban called it, Jagar Suha Dutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore it was called Galid. And Mizpah, for he said, May the Lord watch between you and me. You are absent one from the other. If you mistreat my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Laban said to Jacob, Behold, this heap and behold the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass by this heap to you for harm, and you will not pass by this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Agar, Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal, and they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. This is the reading of God's word. Now ask the pastor to come and bring the message. Well, let's ask the Lord to bless us as we come to his word in this evening hour. Father, we bow before you with thankful hearts. This is the day that you have given to us to worship you. 
And Lord, we thank you that you have watched over us, and we thank you, Father, for this time together now. Help us, Lord, to remember this day in a way in which we heard your word and applied it to our hearts. And we pray, Father, that you, by your transforming grace, would work in our hearts in such a way that we would grow to follow you and bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. This is a fascinating passage, and you might say, well, what's so fascinating about it? Well, the thing that's fascinating about it is that there's a little bit of humor in it that may not be evident right off the top. However, when you think back through it, you realize that all the success that has come Laban's way has come by virtue of Jacob being God's man. And if you recall last week, and if you don't, I'll help you. If you recall last week, there was a bit of uh, Jacob getting a few things that he needed to say before there was this parting. Because all the way through the relationship, Laban has acted as though everything that has taken place has taken place because of his good management and not Jacob's. And Jacob wanted it to be laid out completely clear once and for all. And that's how we ended last week with, with Jacob saying in verse 41, these 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you changed my wages 10 times and so forth. And now Laban is going to respond. So we have these two. And, and years ago on the radio, there used to be this program called the Bickersons. And the reason why they were called the Bickersons, it won't take too much imagination on this, was because they were always bickering. And there was a husband and wife at the time. Well, this time we have uh, a son and a father-in-law, or a son-in-law and a father-in-law. And here they are having at it. Jacob goes at it, says his piece. Now Laban goes at it. Now the only difference is that Laban has absolutely no credibility. Laban has given his daughters in marriage in a rather sneaky way. And, and turned over the, uh, the, the success of the herd basically to Jacob. Uh, Jacob was the one that built up the herd. Jacob was the one that built up the wealth. Anything that Laban had was because of Jacob and because of the God of Jacob, not because of Laban and his good looks and charm. It had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with God's servant in his midst. But nevertheless, Laban decides he's going to rip into Jacob. And that's exactly what he does. And he says, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks. And, and he's kind of running out of steam at this point. Because in actuality, he gave his daughters away. Uh, the flocks have, have uh, grown by virtue of the effort of, of Jacob. And so when he's saying, this and this and this are mine and so forth, now he's out of ammunition. He's all out of huff and puff. And there's nothing left to say because he really is case dismissed. So he has this rather unique solution here. He says, oh, uh, let's make a covenant. Out of the blue, this pagan man, and he was a pagan man and remains a pagan man and is not to be regarded as a righteous man at all. And here is Jacob, and he decides he's going to make a covenant with him. And uh, that's the humor of it because the covenant that they are going to make is not what we think of as a covenant. 
The book of Deuteronomy, of course, is a covenantal book. It is the covenant in and of itself. It starts off with, with the identification of who God is. It lays out the terms of the covenant. It lays out the blessings of the covenant. It lays out the cursings of the covenant. And it closes with a benediction. It's a covenantal book. Now, the covenant that is being made here is a fascinating covenant. And for some strange reason, I remember this as a child, at Sunday school, uh, they always had the Mizpah blessing. And I don't know whether that was a part of anyone. have a part of that at all? I, my wife is saying no. No, not from the, okay. None of you had a part of this, this Mizpah blessing in your Sunday school career? Well, let me put it this way kindly. You're not missing much. It was taken dreadfully out of context. And basically what it is is, may the Lord watch be between me and thee while we were absent one from the other. Amen. And then the, we all went outside and clobbered each other on the way to church. It was a, about a 20-minute uh, break uh, to allow for kids that had uh, been uh, tripped and all the rest running from the old Sunday school house uh, to the church. They were two separate buildings. What it really means is this. Keep your eye, God, on Jacob. And if he tries to do something against me, clobber him. And, and the other way works this way. Keep your eye out for Laban. And if he tries to do something, chyster that he is, don't let him. Prevent him from doing it. This is not a covenant of the normal. The, the covenant of the norm is, of course, agreement between one another. Uh, a marriage covenant, a contract of some sort where there's an agreement. I'm going to sell you this for this and etc. etc. You're going to give me such, such and such a date. This isn't that at all. And this comes from this, this character by the name of Laban. And he's a deceiver. And Jacob's a deceiver. So we have a couple of deceivers making a covenant. So it's very appropriate that the covenant should be a covenant that says, oh, watch out for me, God, because I'm a deceiver. Uh, watch out for him because he's a deceiver. I'm a deceiver. And Jacob's a deceiver. And here we are, a couple of deceivers. And uh, hopefully you can sort of prevent us from deceiving one another because what we would really love to do is deceive one another. So it's a rather strange covenant when you look at it in the context of these two crooks and a pile of rocks. The other fascinating thing is in terms of the covenant is after they have railed against one another and, and, and Laban comes up with this wonderful idea of the covenant, we notice that the one that really initiates this is Jacob. You notice how it starts, where, where, where in verse 44, so now, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. Who does the get up and go here? Verse 45, then Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And it's a wonderful picture. And it was very nice that uh, hymn 104 was picked out because it's the raising of the Ebenezer. We've talked about this before. And uh, this is the stone of testimony. This is the place where we, we raise up a large predominant stone. And then around the base of this predominant stone, other stones are, are left and laid so that they uh, are stationary so they won't become rolling stones. So, so here it is set up high. And it's of some size. It's not supposed to be some little thing that's going to be uh, missed. But it's to be a large stone of testimony with a base of small stones, and it's going to stand there. It's supposed to be a reminder. This is the place of covenant. This is the testimony of covenant. And we have those two fascinating names uh, that are given, and we have the whole directives that are coming forth. 
So Jacob sets up, uh, took a stone, sets it up as a pillar, and he didn't do this alone because this is of some size. And then we have the gathering of stones, and they make a heap, and there it is. And Laban has his language, Jacob has, has his language, and Jacob called it Galid. And if you have your choice of names, choose Galid, because the other one's a tongue twister. And so we have these two men and a covenant. They're coming from a, from a selfish approach, and they're coming from, a, from two different languages on it. And, and here we have Laban with his perspective, and he's looking at it, and he says it's, it's a witness. It's a pile, and, and literally the word means a pile of testimony. You say, well, that's kind of weird. Well, that's what it means. It is a pile of testimony. It's a pile of rocks. It's a pile of testimony. And uh, Jacob looked at it and regards this as a witness. This is the witness. So one's language is a pile of testimony, and the other one is a witness. And, and some who are a little more literal would say, well, it's a witnessing heap. But whatever way you want to look at it, uh, and most have opted out and said it's more a witness because there are other contracts uh, in that time where they were just called uh, uh, the, the Gilead, the witness, the testimony. And here they are. And so the covenant is a fascinating covenant because it in actuality doesn't bring blessings with it. When you think of the covenant of, of Deuteronomy, when you think of the covenant that God made uh, with Noah, you think of the covenant that God made with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob, that covenant comes with blessing. And the covenant comes from God as the initiator, God the sustainer, and man is to offer up to God willful, glad obedience. And in the context of that, God blesses and pours tremendous blessings. And of course, the blessing that Jacob would experience is that, that far and wide his descendants would go. And they would cover the, the world, if you will. It's an evangelical covenant. This isn't anything like that. It has a limitation. And the limitation is basically uh, protect us from one another because we do in one another whatever chance we get. So it's a covenant with no blessing. But out of this covenant comes a surprise. At least it's a surprise to me. And I don't know if it's a surprise to you. Maybe you're saying, well, I expected this all the time. But remember how Laban so willingly marketed off his daughters. And commentators, by this time, I think, when you study Laban the man, commentators probably seem to be of an opinion it's almost a 50-50, and perhaps it's even more. Uh, some would look at this and say, Laban is just being a sneak and trying to make himself look good. Notice what the passage tells us. After this blessing is given in verse 49, may the Lord watch between uh, you and me when we were absent one from the other. Notice what's attached to it. It's this. If you mistreat my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no man is with, uh, is with us, see God is witness between you and me. Now, most of the commentators say this is just Laban grandstanding trying to show that he's a good father to his daughters. And uh, in actuality, Laban didn't seem to be, to our perspective, a good father uh, to his daughters. He has marketed them off and was glad to do so. 
some commentators try to cut him a little bit of slack. And I don't know what side you're going to come down on. I come down on, on the side that Laban's a chyster, once a chyster, always a chyster, and he's trying to make himself look good. And then on alternative days, I think, well, Laban's a father. And he's a father with daughters. And a father with daughters is a lot different than a father that has a herd of boys. Uh, fathers react differently uh, to sons than they do boys. At least they should. Uh, I remember there was a gal in Petticoat Act that always used to say uh, how fast I walked. Uh, I remember her? Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, one day I was walking downtown. I didn't have Rachel with me. I was walking downtown, and she said to me, I saw you skipping in the yard last night. I was teaching Rachel how to skip. I, I saw you skipping in the yard last night. You're pretty good. And she said, I like the fact you look like a man, you were, man when you were doing it. I have no idea what I look like, but it didn't sound very pretty. But the reality is that men are to react differently to their daughters than they do to the guys. We're to treat our men, our boys, as men in training to be men, and our daughters as young ladies to be in training to become uh, God-honoring women. And so when you look at Laban and you think of his track record, it has not been pretty up to this point. When you look at, at, at the commentators, they agree it isn't pretty. But out of the blue, Laban brings this as really the singular clause of all that's happened here. And it's, it's this condition. He gives the, 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 the covenant, the testimony, if you will. It's really a blessing, is it? We know what a blessing sounds like. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace both now and forever. We know what a blessing sounds like. The idea, may the Lord watch between you and me, is not the sound of a blessing. It's not a blessing. And so out of the blue, this is it. If you mistreat my daughters, and Laban all of a sudden is laying claim to his daughters. Now, it's right and proper for a man to lay claim to his daughters. And it's right and proper for a man to give warning uh, about his daughters. I have some warnings about my daughter. And, uh, but it's proper to, to have warnings. It's proper to let uh, a suitor know, here's the situation. This is it. And, and you're, you're to do that. And Laban is doing that. The timing of it is fascinating. But here he is laying claim. The other thing that is important here is this. He's laying claim, despite the fact that polygamy has taken place, at his orchestration and at Jacob's orchestration as well. It was a team effort. You notice that he is concerned for their future welfare. In other words, Laban came from a nation that was, was full of polygamy. This was not unusual in Laban's culture to have men that had a large harem, to have scores of women and, and concubines, just as Solomon did. See how wicked Solomon was. He was acting like a pagan when he was multiplying wives and concubines. And here, in a sense, Laban from this culture that regularly multiplies wives and concubines all of a sudden is slamming the brakes on the relationship and saying, this is it. You have my two daughters, you are not to add to them. You're not to bring that kind of havoc and, and, and strain and difficulty into your house. And so this might seem to be, for some, a last gasp 
on the part of Laban, we have to cut him some slack because it's Father's Day. And so here he is making this statement and saying, you are to protect them. These are, 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 are my daughters. And he is laying his, his claim upon them and insisting they are to be treated properly. They are not to be mistreated. So we see the clauses here. Don't mistreat my daughters. Care for my daughters. Look after my daughters. Don't mistreat them. If you mistreat them, you have to deal with me. If you take wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, God is witness. He is watching you. Don't multiply wives. He's protecting in his own Laban way the sanctity of marriage. Is it pretty? No, because he's not a man of strong ethic and not a man of strong theology. He's a pagan man, but he understands one thing at least, and we have to give him credit. These are his daughters, and he has a continued interest in them. When, when the car drives out of the churchyard or wherever the wedding takes place, and weddings take place in divers places in this day and age, and, and the paperwork is all signed, and, and the, the daughter who has been given away gets in the car with this character, and this, the car is all decorated with a whole bunch of junk on it and tin cans and everything else, and says, just married, and, and, on, and it drives down the highway. Nobody stands behind and says, boy, I'm glad we got that out of our system. The relationship has a continuum to it. And it always has a continuum to it. And at least Laban, at the lowest common denominator, is showing that to us at least tonight. And the reality is, of course, that fathers are to always have a continual interest in their daughters and their welfare. It's a fascinating covenant. It's not even a good covenant. It doesn't even have God's word behind it as a reference point to the covenant. It is the pagan man and, and Jacob, the man who is growing into godliness ever so slowly. But we need to see that, and we do see it in the way in which this passage unfolds. Now notice what takes place in verse 51. Because as this covenant is being laid out, <clears throat> pardon me, Laban says, Behold this heap, behold the pillar which I have set between you and me, and then he says, this is a witness. And now he's going to call upon God. Now, I don't know how carefully you were listening to the scriptures tonight when it was read. But there's something very, very important in the scriptures. And uh, if it was Sunday school, I'd give you a prize. But it's not Sunday school, and I'm, I don't have any prizes for you. And uh, we're going to look at it and notice it. Notice what is said. Because... The covenant always brings to bear a witness of a higher power, to witness to the covenant. Now, notice how this plays out. It tells us in verse 53, the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. Now, Abraham, we recall Abram, we best call him Abram, we recall Abram and Laban. This is family. These are family folk, aren't they? And what is happening here is this. Laban is calling 
his God to bear witness, the God of Nahor. Nahor, his father, had a God. Remember, Abram came from pagan roots, and Nahor had a God. He had a whole bunch of gods, as a matter of fact. He couldn't help but have gods. He was one that was a polytheist. So we have polygamy, more than one wife, and we have polytheist, more than one god. And the, the appeal here is this. The god of Abraham and the god of Nahor, the god of their father, judged between us. But, but, notice something, and it's a big something, and it's this. Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Now, for three pieces of chicken left over from the picnic, no. Uh, why was it that way? Do you ever think about it? Probably didn't, did you? Huh? We, we just read these things, don't we? Here it is. Abram was a worshiper of a multiplicity of gods at one time in his life, wasn't he? It was only when God, the true and living God, approached Abram that he moved from being a polytheist to being a monotheist. One God, poly, many, one God, mono, one God. And Abram didn't have a, a testimony of always being a monotheist, a one God worshiper. However, Isaac did. And we see something that perhaps we would not willingly give or normally give to Jacob at this time. We see it. And that is that Jacob is recognizing that there is a division here. It's a family division. And his grandfather, Abram, the, the polytheist turned monotheist, really has a tainted record in terms of his worship of God. He didn't always worship the true and living God. And Jacob was not about to swear by grandfather Abram, or Abraham, but rather he swore by Isaac. He called Isaac the monotheist as his witness. And so we have this recognition. Isaac never worshipped idols. Abraham did. It's very subtle. And perhaps you're saying, well, I don't think that's really a big point. It is a real big point. Because Jacob is the worshiper of one true and living God. And he's not calling a, a witness that might be tainted. He's calling this witness in terms of the fear of his father, Isaac. Having reverence for his father. Now, why are we to have reverence? This is Father's Day. And why are we to have reverence for our fathers? We're to have reverence for our fathers because they have been ordained by God to be the head of the house. That's why you have no evidence of, of, of Jacob looking around and trying to negotiate and talk with Mrs. Laban. We don't know what her name was. Labanette, I have no idea. But we, we don't have any record of Jacob involved in that. Why? Because God has ordained family. He has ordained the family structure. And, and we're to maintain that. We're not to change it in any way, shape, or form. And so all that happens in the passage is happening with reference to these men who are the heads of their homes. And Jacob's reference point is his, his God-fearing father Isaac. 
We're to fear our fathers because our fathers are to be God-fearers. We're to be fearers of God. We're living in a country, I was reading the other day, uh, a senator in, in Ottawa, a gal, has laid it on the line the other day in terms of the reality that Canada is morally going down the tubes. And I thought to myself, it's too bad that there are so many men with back problems in Ottawa. And I'm glad she's there, and I'm, I'm, I'm still convinced that one of the best men that Britain has had in the last uh, half century was Margaret Thatcher. And, and she, was, she was the Iron Lady, and she really was the Iron Lady, and she's got a lot more iron in her than what we've seen in our country and across the creek and the followers that have come after her. She's tough stuff. But when it comes to the reality of Scripture, God has called the man to be the leader, and he's called the man to be the leader according to his word. And Isaac was to be a man of God, and Jacob is to follow in Isaac's footsteps to be a man of God, and he is to manifest that in his life, in his life. and he is to be affected by knowing that to respect and fear his earthly father is a manifestation of his, his respect and fear of the heavenly father. Why is it that the father is the authority figure in the house? Because God ordained it. Does it have to do with him being especially qualified? Not always. Not always. Years ago, uh, a very good friend of ours, uh, his mother was a preacher. And um, his father was too. And the, the gang in the congregation used to say, what a scary thing. He preaches like his mother. And uh, the good news was he didn't take a person to the pulpit, but he preaches like his mother. And, and I, I said, I don't know whether that's good or not. And he said, well, they said mother was very good. I said, well, I've heard your father preach, and he is very good. I'm not prepared to sit down and listen to your mother preach. God has ordained roles and responsibilities. And for Jacob to speak in terms of the fear of his father Isaac was not the kind of fear that meant that if I don't do as I'm told, Isaac's going to lay a beating on me. It's not that kind of fear. It's the respect and the honor that is due to the Father, and that respect and honor that is due to the Father is due to the Father because the Father has a Father God who is to be revered and honored at every corner. And here we have subtly laid out for us. While the words start, the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, and while Laban willingly spoke and pledged allegiance to the God of Nahor, Jacob made a distinction. His father Isaac, the monotheist, worshiping the one true God. As difficult as that relationship was between Isaac and Rebekah, we notice something, don't we? Isaac and Rebekah was the end of the marriage story. It was Isaac and Rebekah. It wasn't Isaac and Rebekah and, 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 and. 
That could not be said uh, of Abraham, and it was not said of Jacob either. There is a difference. And we see Isaac shining forth here, despite all the problems in the family. Now, you stop and look at your family. Uh, your, your, you young people, your, your parents aren't perfect, uh, no matter what we're trying to tell you. <laughs> your, your parents aren't perfect. Uh, and that's, that's bad news for us. Uh, now, here's the bad news for you. You're not perfect either, and you won't be. The reality is that in terms of the relationships that we have, the relationship has a perfect standard. And we're to look to that standard and we're to yield to that standard and we're to maintain that standard with all of our heart, soul, and spirit. Now notice how this covenant ends because the covenant ends with, with uh, the, the standard type of ending to any covenant minus, minus blessings. There are no blessings here. That's what makes it such a strange covenant. But notice that that, that Jacob is taking this seriously. And as a result, there is a sacrificial offering. Notice that, verse 54, Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal. And so there's a sacrifice and there's a meal. And th there is that sort of thing that takes place. We have in the, in the context of the church the reality that we are to offer up to God when we worship him as new covenant worshipers. Remember, we're looking at Leviticus, and there is a dramatic difference between the worship of, of, of the old covenant versus the worship of the new covenant. And in the old covenant, there was a sacrifice, and it was typically followed by a meal. In, in the new covenant, there is a sacrifice. But in the new covenant, we worship in spirit and in truth, and we offer up to God spiritual sacrifices because Christ has already been offered up. However, in the ratification of the covenant, which takes place here once a month, and in the ratification of that covenant, it is followed by a covenant meal. Now, it may not classically seem like a meal to you, a little piece of bread and a little cup, but that is the covenant, and that is the picture of what Christ has done for us. And here in the Old Covenant, while it is not a pure covenant because it is made by two impure men, we see that they are at least following the pattern. They have raised up the testimony of the covenant. They have set conditions, albeit not very deep. But now they're showing that they are taking this seriously despite the faultiness of the covenant by having a covenant sacrifice and a covenant meal where there is a sitting down at the end of these two individuals that are not particularly fond of one another. And so we have this, this drama taking place, the sacrifice offered on the mountain, and the kinsmen gathered together, and they eat the meal, and they spend the last night on the mountain. And it's at that point that we see these imperfect men parting, and it's early in the morning, uh, verse 55, early in the morning, Laban arose, and there's the goodbye, kissed his sons, his daughters, and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned to his place. And unfortunate chapter ending here, 
verse 1 of chapter 32, Jacob went on his way. The angels of God met him. What a fascinating account. What a fascinating story. The man that was, was, go back for a moment, the man that his mother said, go and stay with Laban for a few days. 20 years later, two wives later, 12 kids later, on his way back home with a strange covenant, with a strange man. But we see the man, Jacob, returning home firmly as a monotheist, leaving that pagan environment and going home with his family to worship the God, the only God, the true and living God. All covenants have stipulations, but this one is greatly lacking because the covenant that is the perfect covenant is one that is established by God. If you see lackings in this, and we should, we should see the lack of involvement of the true and living God. Well, we come to this point and we have to ask ourselves, and I want us to think as we close of Wednesday night, and you're saying, I wasn't here Wednesday night. Well, I mean, what can I tell you? But on Wednesday night, we saw the covenant. And we saw the new covenant mentioned in the old covenant when Jeremiah tells us that, that I will put my laws, God says, in their minds, on their hearts, and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Even in the Old Testament, we have evidence that the new covenant, the better covenant, is coming. We never have any doings, dealings, with the covenant of Mizpah ever again. And Jacob and his family go onward to serve the Lord. Well, may we go onward to serve the Lord as we close tonight. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Father, we are imperfect. We're sinners. And here's a sinner by the name of Laban and a sinner by the name of Jacob. And along the way, you have in your kindness brought Jacob to an understanding of the true and living God. He did not serve him perfectly at all, but he knew who the true and living God was. And we see this fascinating individual that we don't have a lot of warmth towards and a lot of affection to, this man Laban. And we see the paganry of the man and we see, as we were reminded a few weeks ago, that when you're surrounded by paganry at every corner, it's time to get out. And we see that in the life of, Joseph, of, of Jacob and his family. And Lord, there are many things that are a part of our culture that we need to learn to keep our distance from because we are your covenant people and we're to live by the stipulations of your covenant that you have put your laws in our heart. You have forgiven our sins and we're to follow you in willful obedience. Help us to do that, we pray, to the glory of Christ. We ask this in his name.